Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. G'day everyone and welcome to On The Grid, your weekly fix of motorsport with a down-under perspective. Each week we'll talk to the leading lights of Aussie motorsport, unpick the key issues, discuss the trending topics and have some fun along the way. From supercars to the Bathurst 12-hour and everything in between, and I mean everything, this is On The Grid. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you for joining us. Jack Perkins to join the team this week to cover off on a whole lot of stuff and of course all the usual banter as always. But first the news of the past week and Zane Goddard has clocked the fastest time of the official supercars test day at Queensland Raceway held for the Queensland and Sydney teams. Matt Stone Racing driver setting the fastest lap of the day a 109.02 on the 16th lap of his 78 for the day. Goddard impressed with how things went. Yeah, 100%. It's good morale for the whole team, myself, mechanics, engineers. Uh, obviously, I got Jack Bellotti. Um, he's young, first year in the role, just stepped up from data engineer. So for him to back himself and really get the confidence, it's, uh, it's the best thing. So, nah, he could only do well. Goddard says it's always nice to take it up to the big teams, such as Triple Eight and DJR. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, obviously, they're the best in the business. They've been doing it for a long time. I think, especially last year when I was new to it all, you know, it's hard not to get starstruck. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're your competition, and one day you kind of want to be out there beating them. But, um, yeah, at this point, I'm still just climbing up the ladders, and, yeah, you got to learn Triple Eight driver Shane Van Gisbergen says it's nice to be back behind the wheel of a supercar. It's alright, it's pretty hot, um, which sucks, but yeah, awesome to be back in the car. I've been driving here two days this week, so to jump in after the Mercedes, like proper V8, big power, sequential shift, it's awesome. So, loving driving it, but um, yeah, just getting used to it. Um, we're trying a couple different programs on both cars, and then myself learning Couchy and Jamie learning with Wes, so... Yeah, a couple of new engineers for it, for both of us, but it's been pretty good. And Gisbergen, you're looking forward to heading to Bathurst in a couple of weeks' time. No, it's different, but it'll be a completely different track. You know, not as much running, hot conditions compared to October or whenever we were there. It's going to be going to be completely different. So, yeah, we'll see what we can learn. Our cars aren't much different to then. Just a couple of things today we may have found. Some are, some are work, some haven't. So, yeah. Uh, should be pretty good. Anton Di Pasquale was second fastest for the day in his new DJR Mustang. Both Mark Winterbottom and Scott Pye will race new-looking ZB Commodores in season 2021 for Charlie Sherqualt's Team 18. 2020 was a bit of a breakout year for Team 18 with Winterbottom and Pye both finishing in the top 10 of the championship. Winterbottom says he can't wait for this season. He's third with Team 18 to begin. Yeah, we've done well to keep um, to keep all our staff. It's last year was tough, so to maintain staff and continuity is a big thing. But we've complemented it with uh, with with Krusty, Richard Halloway. Um, he's worked GRM. My engineer was seven years at GRM. So although we've got new, it feels like he's been here for years. So uh, we're in a great position. We've got great staff. I feel like we've got great equipment, and we're as hungry as ever. So um, you know, it's really exciting times and. 
it's time for, for Team 18 to get up the front and um, to get those wins. And starting at Bathurst in a 500km race will be very different, says Winterbottom. Heading to Bathurst is going to be strange. Um, we go there in October traditionally, but uh, you know, sprint race format, um, you know, the 1,000 race is all about flat out anyway, so our approach won't change, um, but you know, one driver in a sprint event, it's, it's got a different feel. So, um, yeah, really excited. Uh, I'd love to get the car in the shootout, do that one lap, and... Uh, a win at Bathurst is, is always special, so um, weird, but, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Meanwhile, Scott Pye, the driver of the number 20 DeWalt car, says he's feeling very comfortable with life going into his second year with the team. For me, going into a second season with this team, I feel uh, really at home already. So I think the learnings that we had throughout that season we're going to put into practice really well this year. Uh, you know, race pace was something for us which was, was really phenomenal. It was something that I was really proud of. You know, the guys did a fantastic job at always giving me a car in the race that I could have some fun with, make some passes. Uh, and certainly this year, our, our big focus is on qualifying. I think if we can qualify well, we're in real contention to get consistent podiums. Pi says he isn't really a goal setter and just tries his hardest each week. Last year, the, the uh, goals, I guess, were pretty broad. Um, for me personally, I've, I've never been someone to set season goals. It's always weekend by weekend and race by race. Um, short-term goals with the objective of always being better the next time we hit the track. For us, this season, we've got a real opportunity to become a, a, you know, a strong force, I, I think, in the championship and someone who can turn up on every weekend and, and be a contender. Like I said, qualifying is, is a goal you know, to improve that this year uh, and get the car better over one lap. We've certainly got a great race car over, over multiple laps, but uh, finding that one lap speed is, is a goal, and I think if we can do that, uh, regular podiums has to be the target. So we want wins. We got, we got a few podiums last year. Um, it'd be fantastic to get the team's first win and, uh, and continue to build on that consistency. But last year, I guess, sitting inside the top 10 as, as consistently as possible was, was satisfying, uh, but it's not going to be enough this year. We need to step up again and, and target consistent top fives. Uh, and if we can do that, we're in contention for a podium every weekend. I also very happy with the look of his new Commodore. Yeah, car looks fantastic. I'm uh, excited to get, get back behind the wheel. It looks fast. I'm sure it's uh, as fast as it looks. So year two of a, uh, of a new relationship, really. And uh, yeah, you just cannot wait to get this underway. We made really good progress last year. Showed great consistency in the races uh, throughout the whole season, really. And, 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 you know, that progress I'm looking forward to carrying on to into 2021. Tickford Racing have locked in their endurance drivers for season 2021. James Moffat, Alex Prime, and Thomas Randall will be the three drivers to join Cam Waters, Jack LeBrock and James Courtney. And current Dunlop Super 2 rookie champion Jaden Ajada will battle for the Super 2 series with Matt White Motorsport in 2021. The 21-year-old Ajada will return to the Nissan Ultima team with the aim of securing an unprecedented three-peat for his team in the Super 2 series, which has claimed the last two Super 2 crowns through Bryce Forward and Thomas Randall. And round one of the Shannons Nationals, which was to be this weekend at Phillip Island, has been rescheduled to the weekend of March 12 to 14. That's the news. Let's hand over the reins to Richard Crail. Crailsy. Yeah, thanks, Jebex. And uh, all the very best for the next couple of weeks, literally on the sidelines, uh, as you recover from your knee amputation surgery, whatever it is you're having done. Um, he'll turn into the $6 million man, Tony Shebeki, with uh, bigger, better, faster, brighter, with some new bits and pieces in his knees. So we continue the podcast regardless. And with that, we say hello to Mark Walker. G'day, Mark. Crailsy, uh, I wish we had more fanned up Shebeks on the show, but uh, it's not to be, which is a shame. 
I don't. I've seen Shebex not necessarily on morphine, but um, after significant qualities of alcohol, I think we don't publish any of that. Uh, and with that, we welcome our special guest for this week's uh, edition of On the Grid. It's our great mate Jack Perkins. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Krause. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, uh, hopefully all the best for Shebex. The um, you know never nice to be uh, in hospital or whatnot. So all the best to Shebeki, but nonetheless, still nice to be on the show with you two blokes. Mate, uh, there's a bit going on in your world, a bit to work through, but the first thing I wanted to talk about was over the last couple of weeks, supercars have opened up their vault and their archive of races since 97. And the other night, I had a very enjoyable evening catching up on some touring car racing from Lakeside, where the two Castrol Perkins cars were right at the very front of the field and had a very successful weekend. So I wanted to talk about the Perkins engineering side of your world first and foremost and just touch on some of the projects you've got going on there it seems like it's a busy time down there at the moment yeah it is mate and um just touching on what you're talking about how good's that supercars getting uh in, in a deal with youtube to release all those old races i mean quite often i'm trying to find illegal versions of those races so <laughs> yeah i must admit i don't have a big dvd collection or anything and uh I'm, I'm wrapped about that. So, you know, hats off to everyone involved. Supercars, YouTube, what a fantastic idea. And I'll be giving that a fair hiding over the, the next few years, I imagine. But, um, you know, we're, um, you know, we're keeping very busy at Perkins Engineering. I think last year when we spoke, um, we just started a YouTube channel of our own. And I guess, um, you know, in that heavy lockdown in Melbourne last year, Dad and I spent a lot more time on the farm. You know, we moved up there, sold our place in Melbourne. And, um, you know, we were just getting up to farming stuff and we thought how good would it be to sort of share a bit of this and actually the idea first started when I put a video up on our Facebook channel of dad starting a pony engine for a caterpillar tractor that he's um, restoring and it literally got millions of views and uh, I thought that was quite crazy and um, decided to yeah set up the the channel and and sort of put together some episodes. I think we've done six episodes now. A few of them have been just the trusty iPhone stuff and the most recent ones in Melbourne we've done in the workshop with um, a friend of mine who, who does make some videos. So that the, the level of production stepped up quite a bit for the last three. But the next one will be back to the uh, iPhone while we try and uh, find some more funding, I guess, for the, for the videos. But for us, it's just about, um, you know, interacting with people and showing people what we do. We've got a lot happening at the workshop um, in terms of restoring cars. Um, we've actually been doing a little bit uh, for some other race teams in supercars, actually. We've been making some pit equipment for the new Blanchard Racing Team, and we're also doing some little jobs for Walkinshaws and a couple others. So um, we're sort of diversifying, branching out, and, um, you know, our, our bread and butter is obviously still restoring cars, remanufacturing those components and building engines and things like that. So, um yeah, never a dull moment. I'm looking forward to sort of keeping that going throughout the year. I've got some great ideas for the Perkins Engineering YouTube channel and hopefully I can, you know, get get it together and, and keep the production quality high as opposed to low. I love it, mate. It's so cool. And and there's such a YouTube market for the restoration side of, of especially classic race cars. And there's channels out there with millions of subscribers and that's their sole purpose in life. So clearly there's a market for it. Um are you enjoying, are you like the storytelling side of the sport? I know, especially when it relates to your family and, and the history of, of Perkins in supercar racing. So you must enjoy the actual storytelling of what's going on as much as you do the actual work on the cars. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. I mean, I really enjoy the, the sort of history of, of the sport, but also 
the history of the business and I'm a bit of a historian in that sense. When it comes to the Perkins cars and the Perkins engines and the customers and the history, I'm you know quite quite across it all. So um, I do enjoy um, you know documenting those things, publicising those things. You know, a lot of people in the restoration world they kind of hide what they're doing, but I I feel like um, we've got nothing to hide. We want to show people the level we're going to. We want to show people the detail we're going to, and um, you know we don't have an open workshop policy, so this is the closest thing we can do between the YouTube and the Facebook and, and our website. We feel like we're doing a pretty good job of sort of sharing what we're doing. So, yeah, I do I do enjoy it. The work is fun as well. I mean, it's a very tiresome project. I started the restoration of the 1993 Bathurst car in 2016, I think it was. Yeah. And, you know, we're five years down the track and it still doesn't have wheels on it. So, you know, a lot of people don't understand just how much work goes into them. And admittedly, we're not full time. You know, I lose a bit of time when I'm off working, you know, trying to make some money, which is in the racy world or doing other bits and pieces. But, um, you know, I'm still proud of what we're doing out there. And I'm obviously proud of what I've been able to you know, pick up from what dad started. And no, the support's been fantastic. Um I just, yeah, I just love going to work, mate, to the workshop. It's quite, quite good. That's a good thing. Um, now, as we record this, Melbourne is in a bit of lockdown and our internet's been playing silly buggers tonight. So I think Mark Walker's still on the other line. Uh, Mark? Hello, Richard. He is. Hello, Jack. Look at this, the internet. How good. Uh, one thing from your world, Jack, that I'm fascinated by is your old man's Unimog. Have you ever had a skid in that? Because that looks like the biggest weapon of off-road machinery that's ever happened it's at this stage i say hey mark which unimog because he's got three of them in the fleet oh, stop it and uh i i actually am pretty confident i've driven all three um he's got um the the motorhome which will feature on a youtube episode to come is uh a mercedes unimog chassis with a kenworth truck cab grafted onto the front of it and um it's a full, um, you know, motorhome, toilet, shower, uh, all the, the, you know, self-contained or whatever the, the, the description is. And then he's got another Unimog, which is like a new one that we call um, their latest sort of version from about 2011, 2012. And that, that doesn't have the toilet and the shower. That's just got the bed. And that's for, for sort of when dad goes off on his own or with his brother or with his mates. Um, and then we've got another one on the farm, which is an ex-Australian military one um, that we got off uh, one of those auctions where they're selling all the old army gear. And um, that one's quite a cool thing as well. So it's got a big crane arm on it so we, we can muck around picking up stuff off the ground and, and whatnot. So, yeah, they're beasts to drive. Um, you, you know, you're hard-pressed to stop a Unimog, especially out in the desert. They, um, they're really good things and, and, you know, Dad's had a lot to do with them now. they uh, designed and built some overdrive gearboxes and things like that. And, um, yeah, you wouldn't believe the amount of uh, questions I get through the Perkins Facebook page on Unimogs. It's kind of like <laughs> their own little world of, you know, we've, we're Supercars fans or Holden Supercar supporters, and there's just as many Unimog supporters out there. It's quite crazy. It's a strange little world, isn't it, how that works? Hey, um, one question I've always wanted to ask you, um, do you have a favourite PE supercar? Um. Yes and no. I, I, um, I, I, I've got a soft spot for the Bathurst winners, obviously. So 93 is chassis 17, um, 95 is 29. You put me on the spot here. And uh, 97 is uh, 30RB or something like that. I, I'm, I should, right, I should 
you're not Aaron Ernie. You don't need to sleep these. It's fine. <laughs> I should know these off by heart, but I do have a soft spot for those. Um, I do also like the ones that I've driven as well because, mm. you know, my first supercars were those ones and the first supercar I ever drove was um, Chassis 39, which was a ride car for us at the time, a v, VX that had VY panels on it for memory. Um, you know, my first Bathurst car is the one that I crashed into Mark Scaife, which was Dad's last Bathurst car. So, you know, it's kind of a, a, a cool little story about that. But, um, nah, they're all pretty cool, mate. They've all got their own stories. They've all got their own history. But certainly if I had to pick one, um, the 93 Bathurst winning one is something I'd be very proud of when that's finished. Is there any particular part that you enjoy working on the most? Is it the body work? Is it uh, getting the paint right? Like some of the things you do is pretty cool. Mate, to me, it's just attention to detail. Um, yeah. If I see a photo of something and, and I'm, you know, incredibly disappointed. So the time comes out and even in some of it, um, for example, the rear bumper bar bolts on the 93 car, they are painted because obviously the car was painted when the bodywork was on it. And then on the 94 car, the rear bumper bar is not based off a road car one. It's based off a composite part that was painted off the car. And then the bolts that hold it on aren't painted. So <laughs> it would be rude for me to not replicate what I see there. And that carries on right throughout the car. So for me, it's attention to detail. It's presenting the car exactly how it was to the best of your ability through through all the various history, whether it be photos, dialogue, uh, written information, so, yeah, that's what I'm sort of most enjoying doing. Um, there's a guy that works with me, Travis Langman, who's a gun fabricator and he's a bit of a historian like myself. You know, we do you – know, he's only at our place two days a week, but when, we, when we're full, in full swing, the two of us on those two days a week, we get about three weeks' work done. So it's quite – it is quite good. And, um, yeah, just the whole thing, to be honest, I just, just really making sure we dot the I's and cross the T's um, – and, and, you know, when, when you see the finished products, you sort of know what I mean. And, you know, knowing motor racing fans, and we love this about the sport, especially the historic side, that if those bumper bar bolts came out painted when they shouldn't have been, you know someone would have picked it up the moment you backed the car out of a trailer at a race meeting. They, they would have spotted it straight away. Yeah. And this is, this is the problem I face, Richard and, and Mark, is – I'm going to be gutted if I present a car and someone comes up with a photo and says, mm-hmm. hey, I took this photo and that sticker's wrong or that tyre looks wrong. Or So, you know, I'm, um, I'm very fortunate. And I'll tell you a little story with the 93 car. There was a gentleman uh, by the name of Anthony wrote to me on Perkins Engineering Facebook. After they won the race at Bathurst in 93, they took the car to Murrayville, a little town near where Dad's from, where the farm is in Kawanji, and they did a big burnout in the main street. It was quite a cool thing, which would be so much fun to organise now, but I dare say everyone would give you the reasons why he couldn't. But this uh, Anthony gentleman from Mildura, he was present at that day, and he took about 35 photos of the car um, in places where you'd never take photos before under under the car in the transporter. Wow. So details of the cross member, the engine underneath, and some of them photos I won't share on Facebook until the car's finished, but um, some of the stuff we'll present with the car, if you didn't have the photos to prove it, you'd think, nah, you guys are you know, being silly. Yeah. But um, there's some real quirky people around that took the right photos, and I you know, thank Anthony for, for offering them to us because there's some photos there that definitely assisted us with the restoration. And, um, 
you know, there's there's certainly plenty of images and plenty of stories out there. So we're just going to make sure we get them all documented into the car and we, we present the right product. Well, and it helps that there's such a thirst and a fan base for the Perkins story, uh, which takes us to the next chapter, literally, in that there is a book being put together finally of every Perkins engineering car built that you're working on with our mates over at the V8 Sleuth, Aaron Noonan and the gurus over there. So that's, that's a hugely exciting project. Oh, it is. Um, Krause, we've, you know, myself and Aaron Noonan have spoken about doing a, a Perkins engineering book for some time. And, um, you know, the, the V8 Sleuth team have built together a really strong platform now with their books, um, you know, started with Holden Racing Team, most recently the Dick Johnson Racing and I guess DJR Team Penske, if you like, their cars. And, um, you know, the timing was right to start to put together a Perkins book we were able to sort of sort out the nitty gritties of it last year and make an announcement. And I tell you, we've been pretty busy since then starting to collate all the information on those 49 cars. And we'll, you know, even include a little bit about the engines. There was 198 race engines produced out of Perkins Engineering. Although it is a car book, we'll still make reference to those engines. So yeah, it's been great fun working with Noons. Like I said, he's been, um, you know, instrumental in obviously putting the book together, but also keeping all the records for not just ourselves, you know, he is the official record keeper for Perkins engineering, but indeed the whole sport, mate, and without Mm. that sort of information, it would just get lost. So uh, we've had a lot of fun today and we opened the pre-orders for the book last week and they've been going, you know, successful, really successful, probably a bit beyond our expectations. Um, And, you know, the pre-orders are just one of those things that takes time, money, effort, everything to put a book together and, we're hoping to have that book ready for October, November. And if we, you know, get it all sorted, it'll be ready sooner than that as opposed to later. So, yeah, have a quick look at what you think, the front cover and, and the story of what we're putting together. And uh, uh, it's going to be a fantastic book, a big hardcover book, north of 400 pages. And like I said, it's going to document the history of the business in terms of race cars and a little bit on engines and obviously a bit about the chief. One thing about the Perkins engineering story is so many customer cars, like the, the fields there in the mid-90s were predominantly Perkins cars at some stages. So I guess it's a bit like Triple Eight are these days, building all these cars for the other teams. So there's a lot to document out there. Mate, you're spot on. And, um, you know, the thing with Perkins en- engineering specifically, um, they didn't have a, you know, a backup business making I don't know, wine or <laughs> something along those lines. The the core income stream was car racing and, you know, you needed to race them, make them, sell them, do what you did to help do what you did, which is racing. And um, so for dad, I think, you know, his philosophy was always, um, you know, Australian made, um, make something strong and reliable with cost effective measures. And in theory, you can still, you know, win races, be competitive in motor racing without having the most amount of money. And that then led to being able to build cars and sell them to people that didn't have a heap of money to go buy cars. And, you know, there was a lot of privateers, as you say, um, that bought and raced uh, Perkins customer cars. I mean, names like Alf Barbagallo, Ian Love, whose sons Jordan and Aaron race in Porsche these days, Chris Smurden, uh, David uh, Parsons, who had two, two Parsons trucks cars. Um, you know, even guys like James Rosenberg would have bought you know more than one car off Perkins Engineering. So, a lot of names when you start to look back on it. And you're right, Triple Eight are probably the only real team that have a proper customer program 
around the same model. They, you know, would build a car and sell it and then that becomes a customer car. And, um, you know, I think their chassis numbers are actually very similar now. They're well into the 40s, if not the 50s. And, and the same has worked for their engine supplier, Kenny Mack. Um, you know, he has over 40 or 50 engines or something in circulation when supercars are on track between Super 2, Super 3 and, and the main game. So it's the same model and, um, you know, it's, it's um, sort of the only way you can really not survive, I guess, but, you know, make a business out of it because when you lose sponsorships or, you, you, you know, you need to pay drivers more money, if you don't have the, the access to a big lump of some other business funding or some private money, you certainly need to make it a bit of a business. So, um, yeah, I think that's what Dad's quite proud of. And, and uh, I know he and Roland speak quite often and, and no doubt would, would have compared their stories over the years. Gee, the um, Larry Perkins, Roland Dane powwow would be a meeting to be a fly on the wall. And I would have thought that would be uh, pretty interesting. Hey, um, you were already announced to be part of the TV program for ARG and the Shannon's Nationals calendar. So TCR, S5000, TCM and so on. But news last week that you're now also locked in to be part of the Seven Networks coverage of the opening round of the Repco Supercars at Mount Panorama next week, which is great news, mate. Congratulations on that. Um, you're just furthering your little TV career along there, mate. Yeah, thanks, Richard. It's, um, oh, I'm obviously delighted to join um, the Seven Network and to, to be back at Bathurst with the Seven is is quite a cool thing. I remember growing up, mate, as a young bloke watching Sandy Roberts and Bruce McAvaney host the Bathurst 1000. And I feel like it's, um, you know, quite cool that we're back at Bathurst for their first race back and to be part of it's just, just an, an awesome feeling. So, um, you know, I was looking forward to, and I still will be with the, the TCR and ARG broadcast working with yourself and, and a lot of the other guys there and guys and girls, um, which I haven't yet done because we were supposed to be at Phillip Island for round two, but that's um, now been postponed, which is great. And there's a new date as well. But yeah, the, the first one for me is definitely going to be Bathurst and, um, you know, working with Mark Beretta as well um, and looking forward to bringing that, that event. It's going to be a really weird feeling being at Bathurst to start the season. Um, but, you know, it's great that it's live and free on seven. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to seeing how it all plays out for, for those who haven't sort of come across what's happening. It's the Bathurst 500. So it's effectively the Adelaide 500 format and we're racing a Bathurst. So no co-drivers. It's not a thousand Ks. Um, it's going to be very, very, very interesting. And I'm um, you know, looking forward to shoving the microphone in a few drivers' faces and seeing how it all goes down. Uh, have you been outfitted with a red blazer yet? <laughs> no, no i haven't but uh i i'm gonna write a note down because that's certainly a prerequisite um to get that i'm hoping just to get the pin that they seem to wear on their shirts that'd be quite a cool little addition too but definitely in seven are doing it and i'm involved i'll be wheeling out all of the old mike raymond neil crompton paraphernalia that's for sure it was um such a highlight of retro round at sandown a couple of years ago when after several years of coaxing coaxing they finally convinced neil crompton to drag the old red blazer out and uh, and rock the old seven red blazer um and he wore it for about five minutes the annoying thing i think many people on the team uh, realized was that it still fit perfectly like it did from the late 1980s so um no it's it's very very cool and and for those that aren't aware mate you're you've had quite a bit of experience now in tv land just tell us about how you got involved in that from the first point i suppose and and what you enjoy about it yeah it's um something that i've 
you know, I didn't grow up as a kid wanting to, you know, work in TV. And I don't want that to sound like the wrong attitude. But, you know, I grew up wanting to be a race car driver. And my life has been about motorsport, car racing. Um, and then my first kind of opportunities started, I guess, in the late 2000s when supercars would, you know, get some drivers in to do the support category. So had opportunities there to, you know, come in and call the soup, the the Utes, as they were called then, the V8 Utes, end up being called Super Utes or various names. Um, Super 2, which was back then the Fujitsu series. Um, so just calling supports. And then my main, my first proper opportunity, I guess, with live TV popped up in 2012, the Australian Grand Prix with um, Network 10. And we got to commentate the uh, supercars races with yours truly, Richard, which was <laughs> which was a great opportunity for um, you know for both of us, to be honest. And I guess I'd never commentated anything live before, but I'm just comfortable talking about a sport that I feel like I know a lot about. Um, you know, I'm quite engrossed in it, and um, it's kind of just kicked off from there. I think we've ended up doing what four or five Grand Prix since then, maybe more. Um, I've, you know, I've always tried to get opportunities in supercars, but it's it's it is hard because there's a lot of good people already involved and that have got runs on the board. But like anything in life, you just keep persisting. And um, you know, I, I did that over over the last however many months, and I've been you know quite proud that that seven have given me the, a gig, and you know, I'm looking forward to doing the best job I can of just sort of bringing the sport to to the viewer. And and um, you know, I know all the drivers and all the teams, and um, just I feel like, uh, you know, now's a great time to be involved. Just very, very quickly, uh, where are you at Enduro Drive for this year? Oh, well, yeah, it's quite funny, Richard. I did a deal with the team right back in late November, early December, actually, and um, I think some announcements were coming out around the uh, the test day for the Victorian teams. So oh, right. we've done very well to keep it under wraps for now. And, yeah. um, um, yep, I'm looking forward to being back on the grid Um at the Bathurst 1000, I think it's my 16th start, but still I'm not just there for the stats. I'm there to try and win the race. And this team has proven to be one of the race winning teams in recent years. I'm looking forward to being a part of it. And that's all I'm going to let you know. Okay. Excellent. Well, we will let you go from the podcast and Mark and I will spend 10 minutes discussing who that might be. (laughs) (laughs) Mate. um, Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, Good luck at the Repco Bathurst 500 behind the microphone. And then uh, Phillip Island a couple of weeks later with seven and of course with the book sales. So head to the V8 Sleuth website where you can pre-order the official history of all of Perkins Engineering's uh, touring cars that have been built over the years. It's a terrific book and it will look good on your bookshelf alongside uh, a little number called Going Global, the official history of the um, Bathurst 12 hour, which is also published by our mates at V8 Sleuth. So get that as well while you're in the store. Jack, congratulations on everything, mate. Looking forward to seeing you at a racetrack soon and thanks for joining us on the grid. Hey, thanks, Krause. Thanks, Mark. And I look forward to catching up with you guys at at a racetrack and no more of this Zoom stuff. (laughs) Agreed. There's Jack Perkins, one of those annoyingly talented human beings who's good at everything he puts his bloody hands to, but we love him uh, and we thank him for joining us on the grid. Mark Walker still with me just to wrap up that chat. Um, What do we think, mate? Who's who's he going to line up with? There's a couple of tasty little seats still free in the paddock. That sounded very Erebus-y, didn't it? Oh, no, 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 probably not. No, no, are they no. already booked up? I, I would have thought, um, what about alongside Andre Heimgartner at Kelly Grove? Oh, there you go, that'd be a good spot, wouldn't it? Do it, lock her in. That'd be interesting. Uh, 
He's a good story though, isn't he? And um, what they're doing down there at Perkins Engineering is just very, very cool for racing anoraks like you and I. Absolutely. I mean, it all goes hand in hand. I mean, the the stuff that the Vout Sleuth does has such a, a cult following and it just plays straight into the wheelhouse of what they do there at Perkins Engineering. So it all, uh, it all goes along very well. But hey, you're very similar to him. You can commentate and you tinker with old Porsches as well. So... You know, you're quite alike, really, when no, you think about it. No, not really. The um, the tinkering is very much only tinkering uh, and certainly less high standards of... Um, is perfection. there more swearing in your yeah, carriage? So much more swearing and much more bleeding as well, I would uh, I would imagine. Um, hey, the Daytona 500 was run Monday morning Australia time and then it was also run Monday afternoon Australia time. <laughs> it was a 12-hour endurance race with a big gap in the middle. Uh, never disappoints, does it? That race, um, just quite extraordinary scenes at the finish, as always with uh, with the NASCARs on the high banks. So to summarise it in terms of the Bathurst One Thousand, it'd be like having <laughs> it was like twenty fourteen, except it'd be having half the field crash after ten laps. Mm. So you'd have a twelve car pile up and eight cars eliminated. Uh, you'd have a six hour red flag where everyone went to their nearest drive through uh, fast food place that sponsors their cars and they all posted in some great social media stuff from there that filled in that six-hour gap. Uh, then there was a whole lot of follow the leader for several hours and on the last lap it all exploded and it was literally the two Penske cars uh, who were first and second crashed into each other. But it's a lot more involved with it. I mean, mm. we've been to Daytona. It's great entertainment, but it's it's awful racing if you're a purist because yeah. everyone crashes. They all crash. That's the, the symptom of that racing is that it is it is terrible. If you enjoy it for what it's worth as just an entertaining thing that anyone can win, it's great. But, yeah, it's, it's awful, awful motorsport because you know <laughs> that you're going to get wrecked. And yeah. what happened yesterday or this week was exactly the same thing that happened in front of AIs in 2018. The leader mm. got wrecked into turn three. Mm. They've got no option. You, you either block or you get past. Yep. You know, either way, you're not going to win the race, but it's your only chance is to block because if you don't block, you're not going to get back to the finish line first. And what's the point of finishing second? You, you're all about the win at Daytona. So mm. uh, Joey Logano, he's well regarded as one of the best blockers in the sport. They talk about it every week, even at all the intermediate tracks. He's a blocker and a half. So he was always going to throw the block. Uh, Brad Keselowski, didn't have much choice in the matter because the, the freight train was coming uh, hard on his tail from about six cars back. And Michael McDowell, it, it's hard to explain this. It's like a, a third string Ford team. It'd be like a Super 2 wildcard winning the Bathurst 1000. Yeah. He, he hadn't won in 350-something races. It was a uh, complete underdog performance. I mean, the, the team really did uh, punch above their weight last year. I think he finished 23rd in the standings. So he had a, a reasonable season last year for a, a third string outfit like that. Um, the Michael McDowell story, I've got to tell you, Richard, I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan. <laughs> and it goes back to, and this is how much of a non-fan I am. It goes back to the sixth race of the 2011 season oh, at no. Martinsville. There's a Marcus when, Ambrose story here, isn't yeah. there? Oh, and the story is that Michael McDowell absolutely fenced him for no good reason and destroyed his day, creased in the, the fuel filler, 
And then Marcus had to wobble around for the rest of the morning. And I had to sit there and watch him wobble around in pee nowhere, <laughs> 20 laps off the pace. So Michael McDowell, not a big fan. Um, he's, he's a weird story because he's, he's um, a man of faith. Uh, you know, he sort of leads a lot of the, the Bible talk and whatnot over there in the paddock. But at the same time, he doesn't mind getting the elbows out. He absolutely fenced Bubba Wallace at the All-Star Race last year. But he's very popular within the driver group. So mm. it's a bit all over the shop, a crazy story. And for him to come through and get that win was something that the bookmakers did not see coming. No, and anyone who had money on him winning that um, probably got a lot in terms of a return because even even at Daytona, that was a that was a long shot. But crazy race, full credit to them for uh, getting it in, sort of, in the same day. <laughs> it ticked over into the AM, uh, which I'm sure crushed a lot of people's valuable drinking time post-race. Um, what did you think of the new team on air for Fox Sports? Uh, obviously, Jeff Gordon's been there for a couple of years since he retired. Uh, Mike Joy, you and I, I know, both agree, is probably one yep. of, if not the best play-by-play announcer in the sport, full stop. Um, and you've you've interviewed him in a press conference before, I know, as a career highlight for you. Um, but Clint Boyer jumping on, he was just awesome, wasn't he? They've needed... a. Daryl Waltrip replacement, haven't they? Yes. I mean, he's just that out there Uber, you know, Daryl Waltrip's jaws. You know, they needed someone to fill that role. And mm. Clint Boy is the man. And, you know, he, he's a cool dude. He's an absolutely cool dude. And he did a great job, I reckon. He said all the right things at the right time and was enthusiastic and right into it. And obviously has all that, that current um, feeling for the cars and what was going on in the race because it's such a black art to drive those things and set them up and and all that side of things so i think he did a ripper job uh back to the michael mcdowell thing uh a bit of an ambrose link there was that his crew chief drew blickensturfer was actually ambrose's crew chief for a while at richard petty motorsports so a bit of a connection there and another of the men behind the scenes there uh was his spotter new spotter for the race uh this weekend uh, Clayton Hughes, who was Martin Truex Jr.'s spotter until he got sacked because he wasn't very good at spotting on super speedways. <laughs> right. Which you'd imagine would be fairly fundamental to winning the Daytona 500, wouldn't you? You'd imagine that as Martin yeah. Truex got shunted in that lap 15 wreck. So yeah. uh, <laughs> funny how things work out in motorsport. But uh, yeah, the whole NASCAR set will be returning there next weekend with uh, a race on the Roval. Yeah. Is the way that uh, the pandemic sort of shut everything down and shut uh, going over to Sonoma, taking that off the calendar. So they'll be heading back there for the Roval, which will be be quite interesting. And it won't be any rainouts for that, which will be no. just great for the TV as well. Cup race in the rain would be pretty spectacular. So my favourite Michael McDowell fact is that um, there were a bunch of Aussies on late Monday afternoon going, oh, I'm sure I've seen that name somewhere here before. And he turns out, uh, he had two starts in the Champ Car World Series in 2005, and one of them was at the Lexmark Indy 300. Driving for Rocket Sports Racing, finished 12th in that race, qualified 16th. But before his NASCAR career, he was on the US open wheel ladder system. So he went through um, USF 2000 and Indy Lights and that program up to two glorious starts in Champ Car and then um, disappeared for a while and has since made his name in stock car racing. So and now he's won exactly one more Daytona 500s than you or I ever will. So, um, well, done uh, well his other claim to fame was in 2008 at Texas in qualifying. He had the biggest crash of all time. Yeah. Like, and it, 
it yeah, was referenced. It, it was referenced by Mike Joy in the commentary. He said, and I thought it was an excellent line. Was now we don't have to keep digging out the highlights from Texas. He's got a new <laughs> highlight, which is, I'm sure Michael McDowell will absolutely love, rather than seeing this enormous accident turning into a smoking, smouldering wreck at uh, at TMS. No, yeah. loved it. Daytona is always a, a must-watch event. Incredible. Yeah. Um... A lot happening elsewhere, too. We were supposed to go racing this weekend, weren't we? I'm sure that was still on the calendar. But yeah. uh, our good friend Tony Shebecki absolutely put the kibosh on that last week when he said that there's going to be certainty in 2021. Yeah. And yeah, about 12 hours later, uh, yeah, here we are, lockdown. Well, let's just replay that, shall we, for posterity's <laughs> sake. This is what Tony Shebecki said on the grid last week. Uh, yeah. you, know what, you know what the biggest thing to look forward to this year? And I, I know we can't say it, but certainty. The fact that we know what's going to run on certain weekends, I think, is for me. So he absolutely dudded us. There is no doubt. This is why we benched him for a couple of weeks to go and have some surgery, I feel. I can't feel that. I I feel that Chad Nalen has to be somehow to blame as well. I don't know how. No doubt. He just has to be. He's been in every lockdown. Yeah, he's done more isolation than the Eskimos in a blizzard. It's ridiculous. So... Yeah, fortunately, we've got um, a rescheduled date provisionally for that, pending on what happens in Victoria. And by the time you listen to this podcast, you may know more than we do right now. So fingers crossed, we do go back to Phillip Island 13th and 14th of March. And the other news that by the time you listen to this is that S5000 will appear on the Sandown Supercars round the week later. So back-to-back events with S5000, Phillip Island, and then they'll pop up at the Supercars uh, as a support category for their round two of the Repco Supercars Championship uh, alongside Porsche, Painted Dixon, and Carrera Cup, which will also be there, which is a pretty tasty support program. Um, it's good stuff. Hopefully we go back racing very, very soon. Next week on the show, we will preview the opening round of the Repco Supercars Championship. We'll unpick it for you. Uh, we'll give you our hots and knots of the livery battle. So the first power rankings, Mark, of the year, will be on the liveries. And well, I think there's going to be a lot of not and not a lot of hot. Yeah, at the moment, um, I've got a lot of inoffensive just sitting in the middle well, in purgatory there that aren't really doing anything for me or against me. Usually, I, I it's, usually it's hot, not or what. I think we'll just drop the what off for this one and just go hot, not or meh. Uh, meh. Yeah, we'll do that. Yep. Uh, that's next week on the grid, but stick around. Uh, thank you, Mark, by the way, for jumping on. Love it. No problem, Richard. Uh, we'll find some internet here in Melbourne one day. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, final segment of the show changes our tune just a little bit, quite literally, actually. Uh, for years and years, music and motorsport have gone together. And if you've ever heard Mark Knopfler's Speedway at Nazareth, which is one of the greatest songs ever written, in my humble opinion, uh, or been to a Supercars post-race concert, you'll know what I'm talking about. My next guest on this week's show is one of Australia's best new music prospects, whose first signal, I just want to hold you, went to pole position. There's another witty little motor racing pun there on the Aussie iTunes country charts last year with the second single coming out soon. But there's also a deep motorsport connection here as well. And we're going to find out more about that in just a second as we say hello and welcome to On The Grid to Courtney Kyle. G'day, Courtney. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, you say nice things. This is, for me, very exciting because from the top, we should say that you and I were fortunate enough, 
I was fortunate to work with you. You were unfortunate to work with me uh, at Porsche for a couple of seasons, which was terrific. Um, but you have a deep and long-standing connection to motorsport, yes? That is very true. You know, I've been rattling around racetracks for quite a while now, even though I'm only in my early 20s. I think my first race, I was about two years old, went to the legendary Canberra race back oh, in the yes. day. which Did was freeze? It was really cold, but it was amazing. And that's my earliest motorsport memory is being in Canberra, rather cold, and just watching, you know, these V8 supercars going flying around a racetrack. And I think I'm the son that my dad never had. So he's been able to, you know, drag me along to motor shows and racetracks throughout most of my childhood. But then obviously we got heavily involved in motorsport as a family by the time I was about 12 with Steve Richards and haven't really looked back since. I've been, you know, hanging around now and people can't seem to get rid of me. (laughs) And we'll come to more of that in a minute because you'll be making a a racetrack comeback in a couple of weeks. So you mentioned the great Steve Richards and the wonderful Richards family who are one of the nicest collections of people you'll ever meet in or out of motorsport. Um, So your dad, for background, was the laser plumbing and electrical that appeared on Richo's Porsches and GT cars. So you had a really long relationship with those guys. Yeah, definitely. Our first season, I believe, if I'm, my memory serves right, was 2011 and we jumped on for Richo's first year in Carrera Cup and, you know, stuck with him for quite a few years. We were 2014 champions, which was absolutely amazing. And they're, they're just the nicest family, the best people to deal with. You know, they're like family now to me and they've always taken me under their wing and let me come along and just like linger around the track because I absolutely love it. And they're they're just awesome people. So it was an absolute pleasure getting to know them and then become close friends with them and, you know, support them because they're just great people, great racing to watch as well. Career Cup, you know, is awesome, which, you know, you can, you and I could talk about (laughs) for hours and hours. Definitely. definitely. (laughs) But then yeah, followed Richo through to when he, jumped on to the GTs and the BMW, which was good fun too. And then when Laser transitioned into O'Brien, uh, joined Richo for another season back in Career Cup. And then obviously my father left <laughs> left O'Brien after that and went into a bit of retirement. So, you know, naturally moved away a little bit from the sport, but obviously still our hearts are very in it too. <laughs> Yeah, and, and ended up working for Porsche, which was which was terrific. And all the, the while behind the scenes, the music was bubbling away. And um, this has been a, obviously a massive part of your life. So where did the music influence come in for you? I've always loved music. Growing up, we listened to all sorts of genres. We'd be listening to Pavarotti, then Dolly Parton and Fleetwood Mac. So I was always raised listening to lots of music. So I think somehow I just naturally fell into it. I did a lot of dancing and creative arts in school. And as I kind of got to about the age of nine, I realized that, oh, I like singing. I like performing. So mum and dad thankfully put me into some vocal training to help me out a little bit. I don't know if that was a hint that I needed help. but (laughs) 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 So I, I did a bit of training and kind of when I got to my early teens, I started realizing that music was the path I wanted to go down. I started jumping into songwriting and different choirs and bands and things like that. Um, while obviously spending a lot of time at racetracks. So it was a weird split between my teen years as we'd spend the weekend at a racetrack and then during the week I'd be focusing on lots of music and, you know, 
lots of different studies. And after year 11 in school, I decided I didn't want to go on to do year 12 because I was like, I don't need this. I want to be a singer, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I went on to study a diploma of music performance, which was super awesome. Um, and then just really took off from there. And obviously, as you mentioned, I spent some time at Porsche, which was absolutely incredible. And I'm so grateful for that experience because I got to do some awesome stuff, work with awesome people, you know, get to work with you. <laughs> Stop. Amazing. And <laughs> then, of course, got to try and balance the music on the side at the same time, which became a little bit challenging, hence, you know, why I ended up departing from that role, but decided, you know, February last year to just go full force into music, which, you know, all in all was unique timing with COVID, but yeah, we got there in the end. Yeah, you t- timed that brilliantly. Um, I- I'd like to think, and anyone who's listens to this podcast, and, and a lot of people within the industry I know listen to on the grid, um, and they'll know the organisational powerhouse that is Matalina, who <laughs> basically let's let's agree runs the show at sure. Porsche. I'd like to believe that you working with her for a couple of years will actually help your music career, just because you've had that finish efficiency drilled into you over the years of how she just runs everything so brilliantly remembers everybody's name is efficient it, it takes that Porsche level of excellence to a whole new region so I, I feel like that'll um that'll help your career I would have thought moving forward in a weird kind of way it's so true because she's an absolute superstar she has so much knowledge and is just the greatest person to work with and I learned I learned so much from her not just in organizational side of things but how to treat people with respect you work hard, you do your job and get it done, basically. Yeah. You know? So I've already been applying that a lot into what I'm doing. And it's amazing that my publicist is like, gee, you always get things done so quickly. <laughs> I'm used to dealing with creatives that are really, you know, relaxed with time and things like that. Yeah. I'm like, no, if you have something come through an email, you deal with it straight away. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah it's, it's the, great. The, the Porsche way. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, music and motor racing, as I touched on at the start, they, they really do go hand in hand, don't they? And, and it's been a long association and i touched on speedway at nazareth mark Knopfler, which is one of the great songs it's it's a funny story actually because it's it's based on a real life season of an indycar driver who has a shocking year and ultimately gets it right at nazareth at the end of the year on the oval which is the um the sort of upside of that song but it's terrific but there's been so many instances of motorsport and music um coming with each other don't they i'm just wondering if you've experienced any similarities probably isn't the right word it's not what i'm trying to get at here but in the way that the two worlds sort of slide into each other in a way i suppose well i guess because when you look at motorsport and you look at music industry wise it's a bit of a traveling circus it's Mm. a lot of time on the road it's a lot of time you know in different cities different locations so in the lifestyle aspect you can see those parallels that's for sure i think you know, entertainment, it's the entertainment industry. Motorsport is a form of sport and entertainment for people and music is the same. So there's definitely a lot of parallels there, but you also think, you know, when you're at a racetrack, there's nothing better than the Saturday or Sunday night than heading out to a great concert. You know, I think there's just something about the adrenaline of being at a racetrack and then heading on to an awesome concert afterwards is is just great. Like I remember, I think back in the day being at Sydney Olympic Park and going to the John Farnham concert afterwards. Yes. It's just great, you know. It, it yeah. is, makes the whole event just so complete. It makes it an overall experience and it's awesome. I've seen Ice House three times at uh, Supercars Round, Simple Minds twice, uh, Gunners once in Sydney. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, where did the country influence come from? 
It's funny because I never looked at myself as being a country artist as a kid. I was always like, I'm going to be a pop star. I'm going to, you know, be the contemporary artist. But as I started, you know, looking into music a lot more and I grew up going on horse riding camps, so I spent a bit of time in a country style environment. I started listening to the genre a lot more without realising that I, you know, as a family, I'd already been, you know, shown a lot of it anyway. Um, but after talking to the fam about it a lot more, Dad then shared with me as well that his mother actually was a country singer in, in Adelaide back when she was wow. in her early 20s. She'd sing on the radio with her sisters and they were a country trio. So it's obviously somewhere in the bloodline that then when I was in uni, I was doing a few of my assessments and one of my friends said to me, you know, you actually sound a little bit country when you sing. And I was like, no, I don't. And she's like, pick a country song for your next assessment and just, just give it a crack. So I did. And I was like, oh, wow, maybe I do sound a little bit country, you know? Uh, so after that, I really dived into the genre a lot more and realised that it was something that I felt I really fit into as well without having to try. It was kind of a natural place that I thought, actually, this is where I kind of can find my way. And then I applied to go to the Academy of Country Music up at Tamworth and, and was lucky enough to be accepted into their junior, uh, senior program, which I did for about two weeks before their 2016 festival, which was amazing. So that was my first proper introduction into country music in Australia. And as soon as I got to Tamworth, I was like, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. You know, this is the genre, you know, I've got to follow this. So ever since then is probably really the main focus shift into country and just run with it really now working yeah. with some awesome people my amazing producer Rod McCormack has produced you know endless list of amazing country artists and his wife is the beautiful Gina Jeffries who's an absolute country superstar here in Australia who's been mentoring me and it's amazing how much like motorsport the motorsport family you find your you know country music family as well so it's been it's been a real pleasure working with some absolute you know, legendary, amazing people. Yeah, that's awesome. I have three separate motor racing influence country music chapters, I suppose, about my life. So back in the 90s, when I was a kid growing up, touring car racing, um, Channel 7 and Lee Kernahan got together and redid Lee's Boys from the Bush into Boys from Bathurst. And he rewrote the song. And instead of Boys from the Bush, it's where the boys from Bathurst racing up to Bathurst town cracking song. And the film clip was all the transporters driving through country, New South Wales to end up at Mount Panorama. And I used to remember as a kid watching that around the Bathurst coverage on seven every year. And, and that was terrific. Um, Adam brand dirt track cowboys, which I'm going to say was maybe 15 years ago now, but it features in it the commentary stylings of my good friend, Wade Oranger, who's been on, on the grid as well. So he was in that and he and Adam are great mates and Adam's raced V8 Utes and a bunch of different categories as well. And a terrific guy. And the other one is, and I've talked to you about this off air is that uh, when we went to the Daytona 500 in 2018, the Friday night NASCAR truck race, they played the single most appropriate intro music that has ever been played in the history of professional sport because as the trucks were rolling around and they were running through the grid, Tim McGraw's truck. Yeah. Which is just a great song was playing over the PA system. And I've just, I've never felt anything capture an atmosphere like that did. It was awesome. So they're my, they're my music country music influenced motorsport moments, I suppose. So now your, your job I feel is to do a similar song down the road that we can work into that uh, collection of outstanding music. Hey, I think that'd be great. I think, 
it would be awesome because somehow country music and motorsport just goes hand in hand. I don't know why it works so well. It just does, you know, it just somehow captures the essence of music, but also of the sport. It's brilliant. And I love those three stories. They're great. And just the Tim McGraw truck here is just such a great story. I wish I'd been there to experience it. It Amazing. I can't tell you how good I was um, shazamming with my phone at the time to see what the song was because I didn't know it at the time and it's now on my regular playlist. Um, and another one is you were due to go to Nashville last year, I know, to record, but unfortunately with COVID, that didn't happen. But they're actually running an event, an IndyCar race in Nashville in August this year called the Music City Grand Prix. They sure are. And um, I looked at that and thought, ooh, if, if there's covid somehow miraculously you know that like (laughs) hoping and dreaming thing of being like come on maybe i could plan a trip at the same time to coincide but i really don't think that's going to happen this year (laughs) not this year not this year give it give it another year i reckon 22 you need to be on the program there performing i reckon that's the dream music city (laughs) and an indie car race that'd be amazing car race um Let's talk about your music. So your first signal, uh, signal single, uh, I Just Want to Hold You, came out late last year. It was outrageously successful. Congratulations on that. Um, but a new one coming out this Friday, the 19th of February, I believe. That's correct. My second single, which is very exciting, it's called Hummingbird. And we wrote this in the midst of, I don't even remember which lockdown last year. <laughs> <laughs> one of them. It was probably the first one. But we wrote it as just a positive feel-good song to try and shift the focus on to good things rather than all the negative that, you know, is so easy to get caught up in. So it's a bit of a positive, fun song to spread some love and hopefully people, when they listen to it, it leaves them with a smile on their face and, you know, we'll have a music video also accompanying it, which is very exciting and, you know, just put some positivity out into the world and see what happens. It's a cracking song and a cracking video. Um, a little bit of news we'll get to to wrap things up in just a second. Before we do that, um, let people know how they can find your work, how they can uh, interact with your music and how they can listen to the incredible stuff you're putting out. Oh, well, you can find me on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, under Courtney Kyle. It looks like Keel when you read my last name. I always have to disclaimer it. It looks like Keel. It's K-E-I-L, but it's Kyle. <laughs> but you can find me on all the socials. I'm on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes as well. So if you search my name, you should be able to find me, fingers crossed. Uh, we've both got surnames that require regular correction of spelling and or pronunciation. So I, I get where you're coming from on that. I feel your pain. Um, finally, really exciting news. Uh, Repco Mount Panorama 500 in a week's time opening round of the Repco Supercars Championship. And you, my friend, are going to be performing the National Anthem at Bathurst. How cool is that? I know, a little bit of a dream come true. It's it's something that I think even you and I have talked about and been like, oh, one day, wouldn't it be cool to do the anthem? So it's, it's pretty wild to think that it's actually happening. So a big shout out to Veronica at Supercars because getting to know her over the past you know, few years being in motorsport, she was the one that put me forward for it. And I'm very grateful to the team at Supercars for saying yes and having me along for the ride. So I'm super thrilled. It's going to be wonderful. And at least it's the song that you know the words to back. <laughs> yeah. it's kid, you know the words. <laughs> Well, yeah, you've been to Mount Panorama more than some of the drivers on the supercar grid. So I'm sure you'll, you've got home ground advantage. I think you'll be all right. Um, congratulations on your success so far. It's awesome. We love that you're a race fan. We really follow your career very, very closely. It's very exciting. Um, having known you before this exciting chapter in your career and just all the very best for the next single release and building up towards whatever might be coming in the future. 
Oh, thank you so much for reaching out and inviting me on the show. I was like, oh, what a lovely offer. <laughs> so I'm very flattered and so nice to have a chat about motorsport and music. You know, it just sounds like what we normally do at a racetrack anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's This is us in the Porsche lounge over a coffee in the morning. Um, exactly. Good luck to everybody who is listening both here in Australia via mypodcasthouse.com or any of the apps or uh, radio show limited network. Uh, in the UK, USA, anywhere around the world, jump on the socials, look up Courtney, listen to her tunes. They're terrific. Courtney, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Well, that's our show for this week, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. My thanks to Jack Perkins for joining us to talk all about the Perkins stuff and to Courtney Kyle. She's a country music star in the making. doesn't matter if you don't like country music. Listen to her stuff anyway. You will not regret it. Uh, we're back next week with a full preview of the opening round of the Repco Supercars Championship from Mount Panorama Bathurst. Really looking forward to that. Don't forget, follow us on our socials at The Race Talk and subscribe to On The Grid, wherever you get your podcasts from. That's it. We'll see you next week. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.